Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another Educator Innovator Hangout on air. It's June 29th, 2017. I am your host for this Hangout, Diana Laufenberg. I'm a longtime educator now serving as the Executive Director of Inquiry Schools. Uh, my career is perpetually committed to an inquiry-driven, project-based approach to learning. Today's conversation is going to focus on the connection between student engagement, school change, and the questions that can help inspire teacher and student learning. Thank you for joining us here today, and a special thanks again to our guests for making the time to be here. We have with us Zach Chase, Kimberly Shepard, and Adina Sullivan. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves in just a minute. For those of you watching this Hangout Live, we encourage you to tweet questions and follow along using the hashtag ConnectedLearning. So let's do a quick round of introductions. Give us your name, where you work, and then a little bit about what brings you to this conversation today. Adina, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, I am an ed tech coordinator for San Marcos Unified School District in the northern part of San Diego County. And um, we got involved with inquiry in about 2011 um, as a way to start integrating more technology into our classrooms. We didn't want to just um, throw devices into the classroom and change nothing else. We want to make sure we address pedagogy as well. And so inquiry was our route to do that. Excellent. Um, Kimberly. Hi, I'm Kimberly Shepard. I'm a personalized learning coach in Henry County. And our district has really started with inquiry in the last uh, couple of years, um, focusing more on project-based and uh, service learning, but still looking at inquiry uh, in regular uh, ed classrooms and special ed classrooms as well. They are uh, desiring to have the, um, this is one of the main focuses for the district. And so that's kind of how we got started. And Zach. Howdy. I'm the language arts uh, curriculum coordinator in St. Brain Valley Schools, uh, headquartered in Longmont, California, or Colorado. Whew. I am also not at home right now, so it's a little <laughs> confusing. Um, had the opportunity to work with Diana at uh, Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, before moving out to Colorado. Uh, so inquiry has just kind of been all throughout my work um, as an educator and as a learner. Thanks, guys. And I believe two people are traveling. So Zach's on the Pacific Northwest, right? Are you up in Washington right now? I'm in Seattle, yes. And then Kimberly, you're also traveling. Where are you at? I'm in Calgary, Canada. And Adina just got home. Where did you just get home from, Adina? I just got home a couple hours ago from San Antonio, Texas. So this is a very rare moment where I'm the one who's been at home while everybody else <laughs> has been traveling. <laughs> it's an odd time of the year. Um, so let's uh, jump in, and I'll give you a little bit of context for where this comes from. Um, there were a couple things that I've been reading lately that have kind of been kicking around in my brain around some of the school change work that I've been doing. And I've worked with Zach and Kimberly and Adina on all of this. And so when I was thinking about who to have in tonight for the conversation, um, they seem like um, exactly the right people to have. So I'm glad they're Thursday evening, didn't have anything better to do. Um, so what the book that I read was um, Wait What? It's by James Ryan. He's the dean of the Harvard School of Education, grad school of education. And it was a really delightful read through um, the power of questions in life, not necessarily for school, not necessarily for, you know, some kind of self-help book, but just in general, how important it is in life. And then I've also been reading this other article called Bored Out of Their Minds, also out of Harvard, 
um, which really started to ask some really powerful questions about, you know, it's that one of the questions in the book was, wait, what? And when you start reading this Bored Out of Their Minds article, you really get to, wait, what? Boredom is, and it starts to frame it differently. It starts talking about it not as a necessary outcome of being a teenager, but really that it comes from this other place of, um, you know, what factors cause the boredom to happen in school, and then what is the outcome? Um, one of the quotes that stuck um, with me was that there was a survey in 2003 from Columbia Uni University um, who said that students were bored more than 50% of their time, and they were then more likely to smoke, drink, use illegal drugs. Proneness to boredom is also so associated with anxiety, impulsiveness, hopelessness, loneliness, gambling, and depression. And that was my wait what moment. You know, I'd never really thought about it um, super intensively um, about that. So when you were thinking about the work that you guys were doing, did you, um, you know, so either Zach, you in um, your Colorado work or your work that you did um, with the Office of Ed Tech, did you have any wait what moments that were really kind of sticking out to you that were really needing to be addressed um, when you were tackling some of the work that you're doing? Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, part of my, I didn't say when I introduced myself, is I also was a, a connected fellow with the U.S. Department of Education, Office of Education Technology, uh, for two years and got to head up the revision of the 2016 National Education Technology Plan, which is a lot of syllables when you have to say it in um, two sentences. But here was the interesting part. Um, drawing on a pretty decent body of research, um, and really specifically something uh, from Linda Darling-Hammond uh, and crew, uh, which says that um, uh, students um, from historically disadvantaged backgrounds have much more uh, passive experiences using technology in their learning uh, than their better resourced peers. Uh, which is really interesting because it that what I didn't just say is they don't have as much technology, right? So oftentimes there's way more tech, um, and 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 when I say tech, I just mean tools really uh, in those in those schools. But they're asked to do more passive things with it, and then the research shows uh, that doing passive things with technology uh, has a neutral effect on student uh, learning or it degrades learning, uh, right? So results actually get worse when students are asked to do passive things. And this is just with technology, but it makes sense, right? I mean, I told you that because I had the research that backed me up, but, but none of what I just said is illogical, right? Doing something passive, uh, by and large, tends not to make me learn something more. Um, so really thinking about that, and so in, in re the revision of the plan and a lot of the work that I get to do now, it's very much, all right, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna build? Um, and, and shifting that, and, and having to think about the adults in the system or in the organization in the same way that we think about the, the children. Excellent, and Adina, did you have a wait what example that you wanted to jump in with? Yeah, you, you know, as, I started teaching, I thought more and more about my own experience in school and how often I thought to myself or other people said out loud, why do I have to learn this? Why do I have to do this? And you know, the answer was always you need this for the next test, the next grade, the next whatever, but there was never any really good reason. And so those, those students who were fine, you put up the hoop and I'll jump the hoop, that's what I'm supposed to do, were fine and those who didn't do that, didn't have that, that type of personality, that type of learning um, 
outlook didn't do well and they'd kind of checked out. And as I started teaching, I realized I needed to be able to explain to my students what they were doing and why and what it was all about. And I found a lot of my peers couldn't do that. And that's nothing against them as teachers. They just hadn't been taught to think about that and why that was important. And so now as we were looking at putting technology into classrooms, that same question came out again. Why are we doing this? What is this really about? If, if this is only about bringing kids up on remedial skills, if this is just more drill and kill, that goes to that, this is not exciting learning. This is not anything that students really want to do. It's just another hoop to jump without any real understanding for why it has any relevance at all. There isn't any relevance as far as ever been explained to them or that they can see it all. And so I think it's really important that we talk about with students, be really transparent about why they're doing what they're doing, what is the benefit, and how does it relate to day-to-day -to -day life, not just some imaginary magical future that, you know, who knows, you know, when that's actually going to happen. Yeah, so Zach brings us to the idea of active learning as a really big wait what moment. Yours is about relevance and meaning um, and making sure that we're attending to that. Kimberly, did you have a wait what moment that you wanted to share? Sure, uh, the school that I'm currently working with has their plan and action of how can they get their students looking at the data. The students, uh, really there's not a lot of behavior problems. They're very fortunate in that. Uh, there is some high absenteeism across the board and the students typically will graduate but when it comes down to it there's a struggle with what do they want to do afterwards whether it's it's in the workforce or workforce or whether it's in uh, college and they just don't have an idea and so a lot of times we'll see students after they graduated and they just have no idea what they're doing they've said you know I, I'm, I'm planning on doing something and sometimes they're working and sometimes they're not so it's just we want to make sure that we're preparing them. You, you don't want to just teach them all of this information and then send them out into the world and then what did they do with it? And so that was a struggle that we had and so we started looking at maybe uh, some ways to put a focus on some of the instruction and created some houses and the houses were focused on more of their uh, pathways. And so if you had the house of design, it would have been architecture and engineering and those kind of houses so that the students could see some relevancy within that. And then trying to bring in the academic courses and say, what are some of the things that we're doing in here to help make us understand what it is that we're wanting to do and why we're doing it. So not just say, I'm, I'm, I'm learning math or I'm learning English, but instead this is going to help me. And so the goal is to try to get the students to have, instead of doing all of these different assignments in English, maybe some of their assignments can be towards one of the CTAE pathway courses so that they can see there's, they're writing a paper, they're writing a proposal or something along those lines for the course to see the relevance within that. So that was something that was huge in discussion for us. And it's not perfect yet and the, the inquiry pace is, is that in and I think that's just something that uh, is struggling with some of the traditional approaches and trying to help teachers see that this is a way that they can uh, engage their students and get them excited about what they're doing so can I uh, do a, ask a follow-up to Adina so how do you like um, how do you 
do that. Um, <laughs> so, right, so, uh, oh, we should start thinking about the why we're doing this. Um, what, is it, what does it look like operationally? Um, how do you get teachers to build that into their process? Um, because saying, oh, we're going to be more transparent, and I guess it's also to Kimberly, right? It's to Kimberly and to Adina. Um, how do you operationalize that for, for teachers? For us, one of the first things we had to do is get teachers thinking about it for themselves, having them look at actually a piece of um, a unit and say, okay, you, this is on your, on your timeline. This is something you're supposed to be doing, so you're going to do it. Why else are you going to do that? So look mm -hmm. at the skills you're talking about here. How is that actually used day to day? When was mm -hmm. the last time you used that skill or know someone who had to use that skill and have them really start thinking about it in real life day to day terms? Um, so is that, in, is that including like, is that the transfer? I mean, if you look at kind of Wiggins and McTie for understanding by design, was, are you seeing you ask kind of what are some transference moments of each of those skills? Yeah, transference and also giving students a way to think about it and practice it, not in, you know, fake examples, but in actual looking at it in real life. What does this look like in the community? Let's look at how we can use this skill within our community, whether that be in our classroom, in our school, in our district, in our city, whatever it is, how does this apply? So if we're talking about, um, having uh, doing some writing skills how does that actually apply besides writing an essay for a grade can we is there something that we need to write about or someone we need to write to to accomplish something mm -hmm. to actually get something done um, so not just practice for the sake of practice necessarily but can we do some practice or can we think about this or apply this in a way that impacts us or those we know day to day. And I'm just going to jump Please. in for, oh, sorry. And just, nope, it's okay. Put a little bit of a point on it that, that what Adina is talking about right there is a super important moment, which is asking, it's the kid agency part of this, the student agency part of this, that a lot of times when we start to do this work, people hear about it and then they're thinking, the teacher thinks, what do I need to ask them instead mm -hmm. of, how do we empower the questions for the kids to do something relevant, meaningful? Because in order to get to relevant, meaningful, it has to come from that student agency piece. And, um, and I know, and I'll cue up Kimberly here, that, um, you know, that that has been a big uh, challenge um, in the high school work specifically that, that she and I have done in Henry County is really trying to jump that gap between a teacher-directed activity with teacher questions and instead of a, a teacher-guided activity where it's valuing student questions. Um, and I don't know, Kimberly, if you want to talk about that or something else, but that just occurred to me when I was listening. That was actually similar. We, I was going to mention that, Adina, you said that you started off with looking at the unit and lesson plans and trying to determine how they could increase the rigor and just increase, are you doing things like this in your classroom currently? And if you were to do this, what would it look like? And so that was one of the ways that we started off and working with Anna and having her come in and help us with that. And then the other thing that we did too is we started looking at our professional development. And uh, previously we had had whole group uh, faculty meetings, whole group instruction for the, the staff. And we just determined that it really wasn't effective because they were getting all this information at one time and then they really were not uh, 
getting what they needed. And they were also seeing that it was that traditional sit and get approach. And so we wanted to kind of step away from that. So our faculty meetings changed to one day a week where we had uh, all the staff come in during their planning periods. And we actually worked with them on activities. It could have been a protocol. It could have been different things, but trying to engage them and also to, to demonstrate and uh, really give them an idea of what it looked like in the classroom for them. And, and then how, when you, I'm sorry. How did that happen? I mean, let me, let me ask it. I, I have a really specific question I'm asking and I just made it seem really broad. Um, did you do that to them or did, how did that shift happen? Because a lot of times I've seen schools or districts where it's like an administrator says, all right, you're going to do this. Um, is that what happened? Was it by decree or? That's a good question. So they, the initial piece is, is that our district started off with uh, looking at uh, some different grants and one of those grants was one of the huge reasons why we started looking at changes. And so because of that, then the determination was, okay, each school needs to come up with their own plan of how they're going to do this. Uh, there was a lot of discussion in the county anyways, but each school is autonomous and how they can go about it. And then the discussion was within the school. Uh, there was some discussion whole school, but there was also some discussion with a small design team for each school. And the, the intent and purpose was for each member of the design team to either go back to their department, their grade level, to their group, and to get feedback and continue to the discussion back there, and then bring it back to the team, and everybody would try to plan around that. So that was the intent. It wasn't always as perfect as, as you'd like, never, but it was, it was that was the intent, and that was what they wanted to do. And for some of them, it worked really well. We did get some good feedback. Uh, with some others that didn't happen. So that was something that, uh, and, and even still, I think something else that's been interesting is that we've talked about the fact that uh, we didn't want to rush and make, you know, something wasn't working to say, you know, we're gonna quit this, but to say, we'll give it a chance. And then if it's not, then we need to reflect and we need to make sure that what we're doing is effective for the students. And that was supposed to be the overall thing. Uh, for the students, we've done surveys with them as well. And actually with the, the professional development for the staff, uh, that was something that was uh, really interesting because when we were doing the professional development, I was offering one day a week where, uh, and I had surveyed everybody and said, you know, what are some things you're interested in? And then offered some days that I would just be doing some work on that and I could come into their classrooms or whatever. And they, um, some took me up on it, but I would say it was, you know, the tip of the iceberg, you know, less than 10% or right around 10%. And then the next year, uh, we did start off the year with some whole group professional development and somewhat on purpose and somewhat not, just some of the things, uh, district and, and things like that, uh, new software things, that was just a whole group and so that wasn't anything that I had control over. But then there was a lot of discussion and I kept getting feedback from the teachers saying, you know, this would have been so much better if we had done this in a small group setting. And so I said, okay, well then we can do that. And so we started looking at how we could make things a little bit more small group. So I don't know if that's kind of what you're wondering or. Yeah. Any more questions, Zach? Oh, I've got tons more, but <laughs> I'll be quiet. <laughs> Why would we start now? Um, so the, 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 all of the things that you guys have been up to in terms of trying to like move the needle on effective change, um, this stuff's hard. Um, you know, going back to that boredom moment, you know, some of the impetus for a lot of this is around 
keeping kids engaged in school all the way through and what does it mean to to attend to that intentionally rather than thinking it's a byproduct of being a teenager um, so one of the questions again um, that is kind of framed up in the book uh, is the how can how can I help um, which is really you know that the questions from James Ryan are really um, almost a trajectory through the things that you need to attend to in this change process. You know, wait, what is about understanding? The next question he uses is, I wonder, which is, you know, all about the inquiry and curiosity that we've already spoken about. Um, couldn't we at least, and we'll get to that one. Actually, I have that one out of order. Why don't we jump in with that one? Um, which is like the beginning of all progress. Um, Zach has a really good, couldn't we at least story. That's your crayon story. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it couldn't we at least as the beginning of of how you some, start something, and so a little bit, Zach. So um, one of the things that I learned in this kind of first year as a language arts coordinator was that we have uh, kindergartners who come in and they've never held crayons. Um, they just they're they're in a house that just didn't have crayons, right? When you're gonna make some decisions about where money goes, that isn't always one that gets gets attended to. Uh, so my couldn't we at least is, couldn't we at least uh, around April and May when new kindergartners are getting registered, uh, couldn't we give them an eight pack of Crayola crayons um, and a little note um, to parents and families that says, hey, welcome to kindergarten. Um, here's why coloring is super important and here's some suggestions of what you can do in five minutes with your new kindergartner. Um, and so that's uh, what we did. It turns out you can buy a lot of crayons for real cheap on the internet, um, which makes it sound like I found like black market crayons. Um, and then I asked all of our elementary principals, um, hey, are you interested? And how many anticipated eighth, uh, kindergartners do you have? And then just sent them out um, uh, and made the notes so that the principals could sign them. Um, so that it was also hopefully personal and personalized. We have also a, a large Spanish-speaking population. Um, so the note was English on one side and Spanish on the other. Um, but it's it, it, for a small investment, um, we are able to give at least a little bit of help toward developing pre-literacy in our youngest kids. Um, and so there you go. And I can sustain that. I can do that again next year. Assuming that the price of crayons doesn't drastically increase. Crayon market's going to go crazy. Oh, now that I've said, oh, demand is there. <laughs> um, so the, when you did that, did it take a lot of convincing or was it a pretty simple process um, to, to kind of get to that place? Um, because it was something new that you were trying and it wasn't anything massive, but it was different. Correct. Um, it, I had to explain, um, right, because uh, there wasn't all the way through kind of the chain of approval, there wasn't a clear uh, connection between coloring and uh, high school literacy scores. Um, so I needed to kind of draw that line a little bit for some people to say, no, no, this is how we can help get from here to there. Um, and talked with our, our early childhood uh, office as well. So those folks who think about our preschool programs and said, hey, can you back me up on this? So, and it's, it's, it is really just a little thing. And even in a household that only, that already has crayons, if they read that note, 
Um, and there is a, just a little bit of shift in the language or, oh, let's practice our numbers or, oh, let's practice our letters. Then those five-year-olds are going to come into kindergarten with just a little bit more um, uh, help and scaffolding for families uh, than they did before. Um, which is, there's a great document um, that'll go up on the archive um, called the, the Dual Capacity Building Framework for Family and School uh, connections um, by Karen put together by Karen Mapp and the USDOE. It is one of the most useful small documents uh, that I've seen to come out of the federal government. Um, but the idea there being, if we're doing this work um, and inclusive of communities and families, that schools need to learn about the communities and the families that they're serving, and that families and communities need to little, learn more than what they remember from being students in school. Uh, and so the framework says, here are some ways to build the capacity on both of those sides. Um, so that's an important one too. But yeah, there, the, the chain of command, the rationalization, um, also starting small. I'm talking about a, like an eight pack of crayons. I didn't say, I wanna give everybody uh, the full 96 box, but I would love to if, if that were a possibility. Future dreams, future dreams. Yes. Um, do either one of you have um, another couldn't we at least story that you wanted to share um, that kind of started the work off um, in your in your work or did you guys kind of go big rather than starting at the crayon level of change I like that I like the crayon level of change little C8 pack we went big in in a lot of ways um, and thinking back, probably could have started a little smaller, and it might might have helped um, bring some people along that were a little reluctant at first. Um, you know, when you you have the big dream and you see where it can go, and you see the power of what you're trying to do and how important it is, you're tempted to jump right in. So we jumped right in, um, and that worked for some people, and it didn't necessarily work for everyone. Now those folks have come around, for the most part. Um, but you start thinking, okay, could, was there a more subtle way we could have done this to start off and maybe not have to um, not have to go back um, and help others understand why we're doing what we're doing? As much as you think you're explaining it, sometimes you need to show it in some smaller ways first before you jump into the big pieces. I know that doesn't resonate with Kimberly at all. No. <laughs> it sounded like exactly what I would say, actually. <laughs> you know, we did a lot of things that uh, we jumped in, uh, but there was some things. We started off with some pilot classes, and so in that way, we helped kind of start it off small and gave them some examples of where they could look and that kind of thing. But overall, we did. There were some areas that we did jump in pretty big. Uh, especially with uh, some of the initiatives that the district wanted us to start. And so that was something that a lot of the teachers had a really hard time uh, with because it was, for some, it was some things that they uh, they just weren't sure. They thought, well, you know, are you saying that I've been teaching uh, in, in wrongly before this? And, you know, that kind of thing. So that was a concern. And we just had to re reiterate that, no, that wasn't what we were saying. Uh, we just want to provide them with some new tools and let's consider how would this look and you know would you enjoy this and so trying to model it that was the big thing too that we tried to do it's yeah. it's not unlike what happens when we when um i would have students in a project right and so i proposed the project to students and they'd have to figure out what they wanted to do uh and, and kimberly kind of talking about why are we and, and adina like why are we doing this why are we writing this yeah. and then get kids to be like all right what are you going to do now 
invariably a group of children would come back and say, I want to do this. And it would be enormous, Huge. right? Like we would all know we had four weeks uh, to do this because of whatever timetable we were working on. And they were like, this is going to be my graduate thesis. Um, and so it's, it's amazing that we know as teachers in the classroom, oh, I'm going to need to coach them. And, and But then when we jump into that change, we're like, we're going to do the whole thing. Bring it on. Um, and it's such an interesting learning, a do as, as we say, not as we do kind of moment. Um, uh, you both worked with um, Diana in inquiry schools in this work. How did that help? I mean, it, it, it kind of taking that metaphor, did that help to moderate that change? And then I'm going to switch this to you, Diana, because you're the moderator and no one's going to yeah. ask you a question if I don't. Um, but how, does, how do you approach that role in helping systems think about the size of change? For us, it was it was very helpful because with the school that we were in, the fact that Diana had secondary experience, that seemed to be a big thing. If you didn't have secondary experience, then maybe you didn't know what you're talking about sort of thing. Right. So they, the fact that she had secondary helped tremendously and the fact that what she was saying uh, resonated with many of the teachers and that was really helpful. Uh, there were some teachers that still were gonna struggle and I think it would have been whoever came in, they were going to struggle. And so that was just something that we just had to continue to show. So we really started doing some peer walkthroughs as well. And so after Diana would come in and uh, share with an area, then we would focus on that area with the peer walkthroughs. And that was uh, helpful because the teachers knew that that was going to be expected. Now we'll say that those peer walkthroughs weren't always perfect either, but you know, that's just the way that it's going to be. And so I think that helped with uh, kind of saying this is what we've been focusing on and so let's take a look at what are some, what are some other people doing with this and so just kind of it's almost like checkpoints along the way too in your classroom and looking at it from that perspective of okay that we we know we're not there yet but this is what we're wanting to get and then looking at the data so and the, for me in doing the work uh, the discomfort often comes from asking adults to learn something who maybe haven't had to be learners. Uh, as like, Just the system hasn't expected them to be learners What's uh, that? for a long time. I, I've yeah. never run into that problem ever. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Wait a minute. That was sarcasm. Teachers, teachers love to be in the seat of student. It's their favorite place. Nope. Um, Adina, I know you were up next. That's that's okay. I was actually just thinking sometimes it's as simple as needing a partner in this kind of a change because when you're very familiar to that group and you're proposing this big change and we're going to make this shift that is going to be a little uncomfortable or what have you, they look at you and say, yeah, uh-huh, okay, this is what you're saying, fine. But having a partner that can come in and say, you know, here's a good way you can make some change. And it may be exactly the same thing that you were saying from your side, but because it's someone else who can kind of back it up and with new, new examples and it's someone they don't, you know, they haven't known for the last 15 years or whatever, um, and has a different, per, slightly different perspective and spin on the same information, it becomes much more um, easy to accept that this change is going to happen and that it can happen. Um, and that there is a possibility of success. It isn't just doesn't just sound like someone who's you know got a wild hair, you know, saying, "Oh, now we're going to make this huge shift." It's like, no, there's some backup here, and it's okay. And sometimes you just need that backup. 
Well, and, and what I'll jump in with, I think, with the question that you were asking me about, you know, the, the, scale, the scope and the scale of this change, um, it really does get to that how can I help part of these questions, which is, you know, my role in a lot of these things, specifically for their two projects, was much more they had made a decision as a system, this is what we want to do. And then my role was, okay, what do I have in my toolbox that can help you in that process? There have been other projects that have been where I'm more at the ground floor of, of really building up what it is they want to do um, and then trying to figure out, you know, how I can be helpful and, you know, what, what I have in my wheelhouse that can be useful to them in that moment. But it's all about, I mean, I, I've, <laughs> you would think this isn't necessary, but I literally have to ask folks if, you know, in Henry County, it's very obvious what the goal is and what their five tenants are. And in, with Adina's project, there is a very specific inquiry process that is identified and, and well-defined. But I walk into some places and I'm like, what is the learning? And please describe the teaching and learning that you are chasing or that you are trying to create. And they struggle a lot at describing that. And, and then, you know, they, they can, they're pretty comfortable with what is happening. Right. Well, I mean, they, because it, because you're what the, the shift in that question is uh, not, Oh, help me understand. Oh, we want to build school. Uh, and the question isn't, what do you want school to look like? The question is, what do you want the learning to look like? Right. Um, and those require, like, we all have a picture of school, right? I said school and we all somewhere in our brain just thought of a red, schoolhouse um we, we all just had that same image pop up i'm assuming uh please don't say no just go with me on this i drive uh, past one almost every day so yeah right so so that's an easy thing like oh, i want i want school to be good um and so the question in this work isn't oh let's make school better um because school will get better if the learning is better uh, that'll take care of itself. Like making school better should only be a conversation about the physical um, <laughs> facilities that you're talking about. Making the learning better can be a much broader uh, question to think about. And then the thing is, so when you focus it back on the learning, then every other decision you make has to be driven by that. So, right. you know, one of the, the sticky spots that we got into on Kimberly's school was around the schedule. Mm -hmm. Because if we're going to define the learning as this, and this is the goal, what gets in the way of it? And one of them was how we were scheduling. And, right. that, and that was a very sticky moment because, um, as all of you have heard me say a gajillion times, um, high schools never want to change their master schedule. Like it's a real, it's a, it's a clunker of an idea to Some start Some of them with. want to put them on like the National Register of Historic Places. <laughs> so I that any architectural changes are banned. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you wouldn't start with, couldn't we at least change the master schedule? Like that wouldn't work. Um, no. <laughs> but although many teachers ask that, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's a giant undertaking. However, once you've redefined what you're, you know, if what truly matters is this definition of learning, then it goes back to, you know, I wonder, or how might mm -hmm. we, or you know, couldn't we at least start defining these things a little differently? Um, and, and really focusing everything back at the learning and the learner in the process. And, and that's learning and learner for, for right. writ large, adults and children. 
Right. Well, I want to get, uh, Dean, I want to go back to what you were talking about as kind of having uh, Diana or a partner uh, in doing the work. Um, uh, it's, it, um, it also, so one of my favorite pieces is from uh, Sarah Lawrence Lightfoot. And so she says, if I see something, I ask myself why. And if I see something and it doesn't seem strange, I ask myself why not. Um, so that kind of piece of like, bringing somebody into a room to say the same things you are about to, you would say if you were in the room, um, seems strange to me. And I ask myself why. Um, and I think it goes back to, I think for us internally, uh, the question is what is our culture of collaboration already? Um, right? Because if it takes an outside person to have ideas that are, that I share validated, then we need to work on how we listen to one another's ideas. Um, and because we're talking about the big stuff, but that is a culture that grows from many small, uh, it's a death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, there's a, a great study by the, or a white paper um, by a woman named Lori Calvert. It came out of um, the National Commission for Teaching in Americans, America's Future and Learning Forward, and it's called uh, Moving from Compliance to Agency, uh, What Teachers Need to Make Professional Learning Work. Um, and one of the pieces that's in there, and Diana and I say this, I think every room we're in, um, is you have to do this with teachers, not to teachers. Um, and so if you build that culture, right, if you say we're going to do this listening to one another, um, the room is the room is the room. We don't need other people. Um, that I think can be the biggest shift, right? That, that isn't inquiry necessarily, but it is, it makes room for it. Or when you get to that hard work, you've started to build that respect. Well, and, and, and what, what I'll say for Adina is I only go in for a little half day with each group and it's really just kind of a, a shot in the arm almost right. versus because the hard work that is done, I do not do with Adina. She does the hard work <laughs> with with her crew, um, you know, because they have many, many follow up meetings. Um, but it's it's interesting. I would say the role that I've found myself in is that there is something to be said to have someone that comes in unburdened by the day to day um, to bring a little bit of energy. Mm -hmm and ideas and life to some of the stuff that's feeling a little bit um, bureaucratic at times, or, you know, you're kind of stuck in, in the way things have always been done. So um, Adina has introduced me to, I don't know what, 20 different groups at this point in time. <laughs> at least. Um, and then I get to do my little half day of, whoo, check out all this really cool stuff, uh, which has been a ton of fun. But knowing that they have a really solid follow-up coaching system that then supports all of that work that's done with them um, makes me feel good about, you know, where that lives from there. Adina, I don't know if you want to jump in on more of that. Yeah. So Zach, something you said is really, really important and was something that we had to do up front, which is that this change couldn't happen just because someone on high decided this is going to happen. This had to be a decision. This big change had to be a decision that included teachers, it included administrators, it included parents, it included community members, it included high, local higher ed, it included lots of different people to look at lots of different kinds of information and really have some tough discussions about what it is we were trying to do and why we were trying to do that and what it might look like. And 
that's great. What's difficult is taking those conversations and then expanding that from 50 people to 1,100 people. So expanding that further without it taking another, you know, you don't always have, ideally you'd want everyone to have. You don't have all the time in the world? (laughs) I know. It's weird. But no. Um, (laughs) So if we wanted to spend, you know, five years developing this, that would be a whole different thing. But when you're trying to do it in six months, you're trying to do the best you can to build that and then take what that group has built and move it forward. But I think that's a really key piece that some people forget is you have to include, you know, we see all the stakeholders, you have to include all the people and make sure everyone's voice is heard in the room that representatives at least of everyone, all the groups are included. There's a, a resource, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Engagement Lab out of Emerson College, um, but they have uh, a, a project called Community Planet, um, which is an online gaming platform um, that helps people take on avatars of different um, groups, um, right? So if you are a teenager, you might take on the avatar of an 80-year-old person and thinking about community planning through that. I was wondering, like, it's... It, what you just said, uh, Adina, makes me think of that kind of project of also like, not only getting everybody's viewpoint, but asking those rooms to consider whatever, like, don't just come to talk, come to think, is my solution harming somebody else? Um, Which can be really, really difficult, but way easier if you're just gonna do edict, Uh, right? If like, if, if you're ruling by fascism, then you've got a shot at just moving smoothly through a process very quickly. <laughs> well, and, and, but, and, and we joke, but that is what a lot of decisions at a school district feel like at times. Um, even when the work has been done and even when the legwork has been done and people have been invited to the table and all of those things happen, even then some folks still feel as though an edict was issued, even though... Yeah. In reality, that isn't what's happened. Um, and so let's let's spend just a minute um, chatting up that community piece of it um, because, you know, our schools serve teachers and students. However, there's often, um, you know, a lot of commentary from the larger community that, that surrounds the school buildings and the school district. Um, and kind of when you went through some of this change process and you were trying to get to what truly matters and you know, get the process started. How how did you either include or work with the community to make sure that this wasn't being done without them? Or you know, and it, and for Kimberly, you can speak to more like what the school community did because I know each school did a lot of work um, to try to bring in parents and community members as well. And I don't know if you want to start us off, Kimberly, and chat a little bit about that. We'll see if she can unmute. Good job. Did I mute? Oh, muted again. There she goes. Now it's a hangout. <laughs> and then, okay, we'll see if that one works. Uh, so yeah, we we did try to go in and have, uh, of course, there was a district uh, overview, and then the district has gone out um, multiple times within the community. But the school itself actually had uh, several different events trying to, uh, whether it was kind of parent coffee days or or nights and letting the parents come in and ask questions. Uh, We had the open house. And then most recently we had our first um, 
which I felt like it was a great success. Uh, that for a high school that typically for parent nights of any sort has maybe 10, we had over 400. So I felt like that was fantastic uh, because this, the parents were coming in not only to see uh, just what was going on and trying to get an idea, but they were actually coming in and engaged in the activities that the students were doing. So I felt like that was really successful as well. So uh, that was something that we've tried to engage in with the, the community as a whole. And Zach, do you have any examples of what you were up to, um, you know, working through the community to bring about some of the change? And, it, you know, you can speak to your OET stuff, the community being the, the nation. The, the nation. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's just just asking everybody all the time, um, right? No matter what the project was or is, it's just, hey, what do you think of this? Hey, what do you think of this? Hey, what do you think of this? Um, and getting folks on board. Um, I don't know, I don't know this. Uh, Adina and, and Kimberly, what are the sizes of your districts? Are we in similar spaces? Uh, we're 20, 22,000 students, K-12. Okay. How many schools? Uh, 19. Okay. Kimberly, how big are y'all? Oh, she's distracted. Um, it's it's okay. It's there is approximately um, sorry forty thousand students in the district, uh, so that's uh, kind of on average. We've got fifty. And how big are you guys, Zach? We're uh, we're actually comfortably in the middle. We're thirty-two thousand, um, but we're about four hundred forty square miles. Um, so. That is one of the bigger pieces. So we we are across 13 different uh, communities, um, like townships. Um, and so getting on the page there is kind of, the district is an artificial uh, construct, right? Uh, because the people who live in one community aren't the people who live in this other community. And we go everything from rural to kind of Colorado's version of urban. Um, and so what does that look like? Uh, and so that part is tough. Um, and so trying next, next year, um, we're doing a television show, um, as part of PD. Um, this is, um, Zach is getting a television show. Yeah. Everybody's encouraged to watch. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so, um, we'll be in the second year of implementing some new elementary, um, literacy curricula and we've got 27 elementary schools across 400 square miles. And so once a month on the same day that month, um, we'll do a live streamed show from one of our elementary schools with a panel of teachers talking about a very specific kind of themed topic, different theme each month. Um, and that show will run maybe 30, 40 minutes. And then there will be some questions put us pushed out for conversation around that topic. Um, and then so it, it's a way to try to say, how can we have the same conversation as such a large institution? Um, not coming up with the same ends, right? But how do we make sure we're at least considering some of the same ideas and getting the same message too, because that's really hard to do. There's, I learned this year a ton that no matter what group you're talking to, if you walk away, they will all hear something a little bit different. Um, and then they'll, I had teachers talk to each other across schools and I'd worked with 
all of the schools and they'd be like, well, he said this to us and he said this to us and then they'd be angry at me. Um, so trying to find a way to simplify that. So I'm trying to say less and ask and create space for conversation much more. Yeah, and, and that's tricky, you know, because I know a lot of times that all of us have been in the position where teachers are tired and they're a little maxed out and they're sitting there and they just say something along the lines of, just tell me what you want. You know, like, I just, just tell me what you want. I just can't, you know, I don't have a gear for that right now. And, and that's one of the hardest places to be if I'm not here to tell you, I'm here to, uh, you know, support you. I'm here to ask questions. I'm here to work with you um, and really change the narrative around, you know, the roles that we find ourselves in that are leadership or support or however you want to put that. But doesn't, I mean, yeah, and, and yeah. to Adina and Kimberly, um, I found that so much of my work is about um, making people comfortable, making people safe. Um, I, one of my rules is I will never hold a meeting if I'm not feeding people. Um, like so much of that work to get them, because I we are asking people to do, make hard change and think deeply. It's like all of the things that are much more nurturing um, to create the space to get that in. Are you, do you find that same thing or do you both just take like a hard ass approach? Can I say hard ass, unconnected, educated? Ah! It's the summer. I've said it twice now. Um, but what is, the, what is the nurture? Oh. <laughs> Got what a the thumbs up from like? the office. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I'll, I'll take that to start. I think one of our roles also is sometimes the, the fear or the hesitation um, isn't because of the other people in the room or because of those of us that are facilitating whatever's going on. It has to do with other people. So often teachers will say, I'm afraid to do X because I will get in trouble, right? They're afraid to go against what we've always done. And then I'll talk to administrators and they're like, man, I just really wish they would do this other thing. It would be great. <laughs> and so sometimes you need folks who kind of serve as translators and go-betweens to explain, here's really what this group is saying and really what they're worried about and what they want to make sure they're okay with and you're okay with and it's going to be safe and the same on the other side. So sometimes, you know, those groups talking together, they're talking to each other, but they're kind of missing some of the big pieces, some of the, the real fear points, um, and assuming the other side is, is the one they have to worry about, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not really getting to that connection point. So sometimes we have to be um, a translator, and I serve as a translator frequently for that. So let me let me help each each side kind of understand what's going on with the other, what they're going to see or not see, and why it's important or not, and how the other side feels. Adina, that's really good. Um, very similar, actually. So I felt like I was also a translator in many situations uh, with the teachers because uh, they do. They there's a lot of fears with that. Our design team was meant to be the go-between as well and so that the teachers would have that. 
information was coming from administration within that meeting as well and there you know we want you to do this this is okay if you do this it's not going to count you against you on your evaluations and that kind of information and so that was said in whole group but it was also said again and it was meant to be relayed back to this the uh, the departments or the grade levels i also worked at an elementary and Within that, the design team worked beautifully, could not have been better because every single person that was on the design team was also either the grade level chair and they were also working with another uh, per, uh, professional development group that they were helping. For that, because there was that triangular approach, uh, that school worked really well. In the high school, it didn't work quite as well. And I think there was that fear factor that, you know, what's going to happen? And I mean, I agree. Food is always nice. Chocolate you can't go wrong with chocolate the majority of the time. So if you bring chocolate, most awesome. everybody's going to be happy. Yeah, they're all about candy in there. Like it's a, yeah. it's a, a hopped up on sugar kind of day. Well, I, and I've learned I need to up my uh, my chocolate game too. Uh, <laughs> so there's chocolate no one likes. And I am. I have a lot it. of it left. <laughs> yeah. You have to bring the good stuff. Oh, man, people are going to watch this and, and this is going to be what they take away. They're going to be like, all right, so snacks. I know. That's how you make change. Good chocolate. Well, but, and not to put too far. Oh, yeah. Um, even with the chocolate and even having that, that trying to, like you said, kind of Zach with the nurturing approach, even with that, there's sometimes that if it's not best for the students, you've got to say, hey, this is time to change. You know, yeah. we're, we're going to make this change and we're doing this not because we're wanting to be mean or because this is just some crazy new thing, but it's because it's what's best for students. And so I think at some time that conversation needs to be had as well. And it should come from administration down. But that's yeah. the big thing is that, you know, yeah, we wanted to encourage the teachers as well, but teachers. My job is for the students still. I still, that is my primary focus and that's the teachers. So I don't know. Well, and, and uh, Diana and I both like the strategy that like two-year-old strategy when we hear somebody with an idea that's not good for people. So it's just a lot of just why. Like eventually if you ask that question enough, people will recognize that their idea doesn't have a reason or, oh my gosh, I've turned into the teacher I hate. Um, or, or just this line of thinking has. Um, but yeah, it's, well, why are you going to do that? Why are you going to do it that way? Why do you think that's the way it is? Um, just going down your own inquiry. And oftentimes, and it, it's not like, oh, let me see if I can run them down. Because I am also genuinely curious, like, where an idea diverged. Oh, you, like, four questions in, I find, oh, this is the thing you're trying to do and the why of it. Um, okay, that I can work with. Um, this horrible thing that's going to suck the joy and life out of learning, um, let's not do that one. Um, so uh, we're, we're close to wrapping it up, but I'll, I'll uh, ping off of that a little bit. I've been working with a district in Vermont that's going completely without grades and completely without numbers. They're done with GPA, they're done with ranking, they're done with, and, and this is the thing that occurred to me when I was there, they're done with winning school. Nobody's going to win school anymore in that district, and nobody's going to lose school either. Um, and it was that question when they started going, you know, why do we do this? Why do we have grades? What is the purpose? What, do we, what does it get us? And what it came down to was that it was being used as a way to show who was winning and losing school. 
-hmm. that that wasn't something their community wanted to be about anymore. And they have set about a very ambitious um, and bold path to be done with ranking kids. And, you know, it was their wait what moment, their I wonder, it's their couldn't we at least. Um, And then it's the how can I help um, part of it, you know, that we went through a big process about, you know, how do the teachers need to be assisted in that transition and how does the community need to be assisted. But when it got down to it, what truly mattered to them was to be able to speak to specifically the learning that kids were able to demonstrate in evidence and not that they got a C or that they got a D. They wanted a real way to communicate to the community, no, we did right by you and these Mm -hmm. kids, and here's how we know, and here's how we're able to demonstrate. Um, And it's a pretty powerful move that they're making, but it's, you know, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. I mean, it's a big thing to take down grades and numbers and letters. Like that is, that is a big piece of this. And so it's kind of interesting to watch the different ways in which systems approach change. Um, And when, you know, when I thought of this whole to have, it was because the, the book and their questions seemed like an entry point for folks that were looking to get some traction at a, at a really easy level into some ways to do this work. Um, and I think that, you know, we've talked about all the different ways that, that that has kind of connected for all of us. Any last thoughts or resources about questions and school change that you guys might want to throw out as we kind of close up here or last thoughts? Just a last thought for me is that the change is hard and it's hard for everybody involved, but it's worth it for if you're doing it for the right reasons. So as we were talking about the whys, as long as you're clear on what the reasons are, what the whys are, all the pain and difficulty, and sometimes it is pain, um, pain and difficulty involved in change is completely worth it. Uh, Get rid of the crap. uh, if you're asking people to do a thing, get rid of the other stuff that you've asked them to do that is legacy, right? What is, if, if, if they're wanting to change the master schedule, then say, hey, what's my version of the master schedule? What am I still requiring people to do that is outdated? And how can I clear that path for folks? Making sure that you're focused on what's really important and that the whole comes together, all the faculty comes together and has that discussion. And I think that's really important, that transparency along the way. So last thought, um, my dad is here, great timing. Um, last thought before we finish up, uh, the, you know, the idea around the book, boredom, questions is really that constant questioning that we're trying to bring together and find a through line of why are kids showing up every day? How do we make that meaningful and relevant for all the, the people involved? And then um, what's the process by which we're gonna set about that change? It is hard, um, it is tough work, um, but what I always say, it's the work worth doing. And so that's why we um, continue to chase it um, like it's our favorite thing. So thank you guys for your time um, and your attention this evening. Um, Thank you guys very much. Um, If you'd like to keep up to date on future opportunities, um, sign up for the monthly newsletter at educatorinnovator.org and follow Educator Innovator on Twitter at innovates underscore ed. 
Thanks again for your time and have a delightful rest of your day.